Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. The Word of God we meditate on this Pentecost day is the account of Pentecost as we heard in our second lesson along with the 41st verse which reads like this. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. This is the Word of our God. In the name of God the Holy Spirit who not only created faith in our hearts but continues to strengthen that faith. Dear Christian friends, a Christian day school teacher once asked her fifth grade students this question. How can you tell if someone is rich? All kinds of answers came up. Well, if a person has a, a big house with a big swimming pool in the back, if they have fancy cars and, and, and fancy trucks, if they have four-wheelers or a, a big boat, if they go on vacations all over the world. And so all different kinds of things were being tossed out. And then one girl gave an answer unlike any other. She said, you can tell if a, a, a person is rich if he is happy and thankful that he has food on the table and clothes to wear, a roof over their head, and a wonderful, loving family. You can also tell if a person is rich if that person believes that Jesus is his Savior and that heaven is his. How could that little girl be so wise at such a young age? The answer is obvious. It's the work of the Holy Spirit in her heart. You know, today we're celebrating the festival of, of Pentecost, a day in which we, we not only see the Holy Spirit in action, we also marvel at the Holy Spirit and his action. And so let's go back in time this morning to the city of Jerusalem uh, so that to that very first Pentecost Sunday and marvel at the Spirit's work. We will marvel at how he works and we will marvel at his power. You know, I think one of the problems in many churches today is that people have lost confidence in the Holy Spirit's work and power. I've been attending church quite regularly for the past 30 years and have heard way over a thousand sermons. As I think back, to my dismay, I cannot remember the details of most of them. I wonder if a minister's time might be more profitably spent on something else. Well, in the next week there was a number of responses to that article, and one of them was rather interesting. It read like this, I have been married for over 30 years and have eaten over 30,000 meals, mostly my wife's cooking. As I think back, to my dismay, I cannot remember the details of most of them. I wonder if my time might have been more profitably spent not eating at all and doing something else. Well, I'll talk about hitting the nail on the head with that response. You know, I remember talking to a, a pastor friend uh, a while back about preaching and writing sermons, and we both agreed that sometimes we can't remember what we preached a month or two ago. We, we look back and then we go, oh yeah. And that brings out the point that our memories aren't always the best. So does that mean then that sermons aren't important? That since we can't remember the details of, of, of past sermons, they have no value? The event of Pentecost answers that question for us. 
Jerusalem was filled with uh, Jews from all over the world celebrating the harvest festival of Pentecost. And most of them were unbelievers. And as the disciples huddled in a home, probably behind locked doors, something unexpected happened. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. You see, before he ascended, Jesus told the disciples to go to Jerusalem and wait because he was going to send the Holy Spirit to them. And that was what was happening here. And look what the Holy Spirit did to them. He gave them a courage unlike any that they had ever had before. And he gave them the ability to speak in languages that they had never known before. So they could speak to all these Jews who had come from all over the world. And as they made their way through the crowd, with the crowd, some of them making fun of them, what did they do? They preached. If you look at this entire account, they preached both law and gospel, which could be summarized with these words. They said, God sent his son, the promised Messiah, and you nailed him to a cross. But God raised him from the dead. He is your Lord and Savior, so repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. That was their message. Nothing fancy. No gimmicks. Just pure law and gospel. And what was the result? Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Wow. Created faith in the hearts of about 3,000 people in one day. Did the disciples' sermon have value? Ask the 3,000. And every time I read this account, I marvel. And I bet you, you do too. But it also makes me wonder, why don't we marvel over the fact that what the Holy Spirit did in the hearts of these 3,000 people, he has done in your heart and mine. I mean, by the grace of God, hasn't he worked that same miracle of faith in us? Hasn't he humbled us and brought us to our knees, confessing that we are unworthy sinners who don't deserve forgiveness and salvation? Hasn't he again and again led us to the baptismal font to see how he, he washed away our sins through the washing of water and the word, how he brought us to faith and made us children of God? Every Sunday, doesn't he lead us to the cross of Calvary and the empty tomb to revisit the places where he won our forgiveness and our salvation? Every communion service, doesn't he invite us to his table to receive his body and blood and the bread and wine for the forgiveness of our sins and the strengthening of our faith and the salvation of our souls? Every time we sit down to read or study God's word, doesn't the Holy Spirit promise that he will be at work in our hearts to strengthen our faith? Yet how do we know for sure that that's really happening? Can we be sure that the work of the Holy Spirit has not changed and that it's as powerful as it was on that first Pentecost? Well, let me ask you this. Why are you in church every week? Is it because you have nothing better to do?
Why do you give generous offerings to the Lord? Is it because you have nothing else to spend your hard-earned money on? Why do you serve in the church, maybe as a uh, sing in the choir or serve as an usher or serve on different boards or committees or, or volunteer when help is needed in the, in the church or the school? When you see uh, your neighbor in need, why do you help? Don't you have enough work to do in your own home? You know, the fact that we do any of these things shows the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Without his work, we wouldn't want to do any of those. Because by nature, we are very selfish individuals. Do you want to marvel more at the Holy Spirit's work? Because of sin, we should be terrified at the thought of standing before a holy God who hates and punishes sin with damnation and hell. And yet, we are at peace with God, not terrified. Hopelessness and despair should fill our hearts as we watch a Christian loved one dying or stand by his or her grave. Oh, there are pain and tears and sadness, but not hopelessness and despair. We should shudder with fear at the thought of our own death. And yet, we don't. Because we know that heaven is our home. How do we know all that? It's because God the Holy Spirit, through the gospel and word and sacrament, keeps pointing us to our Savior from sin and to the many wonderful loving promises of our loving God. A pastor was once visiting a member who hadn't been in church for years. And the, and the man said, Pastor, I've heard all about Jesus when I was growing up. The message hasn't changed. I'm not going to hear anything new in church, so why should I waste my time by, by going? I'm fine the way I am. The pastor thought about that for a moment and then asked the man to write down what he had just written and then sign it. And the man did, and then the pastor said to him, keep that piece of paper. And on Judgment Day, when God asks you why you lost your saving faith, show him that paper with that excuse and see if he's okay with it and see if you're just fine with him. You see, the truth is, without the work of the Holy Spirit, faith cannot be created in anyone's heart. And without the continuing work of the Holy Spirit, we cannot remain children of God. The only tool through which the Holy Spirit works faith is his gospel in word and sacrament. My friends, just as the disciples marveled at the Spirit's work on that first Pentecost, I mean, so do we. And we're never going to be, we're never, we're never going to see 3,000 people being uh, brought to faith and baptized on one day. And that's okay. Pentecost was a special event that Jesus promised his disciples. And yet we still marvel at how he continues to work. We marvel at how he converts an unbeliever to a believer. A person who had no meaning or hope, headed for hell, 
into a person whose life has meaning with a sure hope and peace of heaven. And that's what the Holy Spirit has done for you and for me. There is no greater or more important work than his. No work that produces greater blessings. No work that brings more joy and more comfort. So on this Pentecost Sunday, we praise and thank God, the Holy Spirit. We marvel at his power. We marvel at how he works. To him be all glory and praise. Amen.